When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Cleveland's team, a baseball history podcast. A regular look back at professional baseball in Cleveland from 1901 and beyond. No score. Pitch to Robinson. Line drive to left field. Robert, it is gone! Mike Robinson gets it a home run in his first at-bat as the playing manager of the Indians. How about that? Now... Here's your host, Guardians team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fun episode of Cleveland's Team, a baseball history podcast. On this episode, we are going to, I guess it would be a part two, maybe an unofficial part two of the Jack Rainey story, if you remember on the, the 1920 series I was doing, geez, now two years ago, it all kind of blurs. I did a podcast about Graney and, and some of his unique aspects as a player with his dog, Larry, and the fun uh, stories about Larry and how he could go to Canada on his own on a boat and this and that. And I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned that there'd be a whole nother podcast if you wanted to get into Jack's kind of post-career as a broadcaster. So guess what? Uh, Due to recent events, which if you've been uh, following the news, if you're really into baseball or if you're just craving baseball news, Jack Greeny was selected as the 2022 Ford Frick Award recipient. So that is very exciting to get him finally um, recognized with that award when they came out with uh, the not the, the potential candidates for that, you know, Jack's name being on there, we knew we had to kind of jump in and do what we could do. And so what I was able to do was kind of dig through the research from, you know, when Jack retired from baseball to when he picked up the microphone in the early 1930s to his retirement in the 1950s. And Doing that really, it uncovered a lot of fascinating tidbits and you know, really solidified a, a case for Jack to be awarded with the, uh, the Ford Frick. Um, not just because you know, necessarily he was the first ball player turned broadcaster. You know, I think yes, that's a, a fascinating piece of trivia. And throughout Jack's. Um, History. There's a lot of trivia, whether it's you know batting against Babe Ruth in his debut or, or this and that. But you know, trivia is one thing, but actual like the reason you know why and uh, 
remember having a professor uh, in, in grad school mentioned something about writing a paper and someone came back and said, well, that's nice, but what's the, you know, why? Why should we care? What's the, the main purpose of all this? And with that, you know, there's a lot to grainy story. And, um, you know, my notes here, I got 20 some odd pages of it. I'm going to kind of go through and talk about that, you know, the why, um, is Jack Rainey so deserving of this award? And if you're a part of the Cleveland Sabre group, we're going to be having a meeting um, early February 5th, I think. Uh, and it's all going to focus on Jack. I will be one of the presenters, which I think will be kind of a rehash of this. But if you have any burning questions, you can ask me at that point. And uh, it'll be a great group of people. So again, um, it's a Zoom meeting. Uh, Cleveland's chapter, the Jack Greeny chapter. So, you know, it's really a lot of self high fives all around for uh, for that. But um, yeah, so we're gonna go and kind of talk about Jack and uh, his story. So Jack Greeny part two, I guess we'll call this. So when Jack's baseball career ended in 1922 and again, going back to the other podcast, you know, he, he reached his, his peak and then it was kind of a, a slow decline. Um, the speaker had rotated him out of the, in and out of the outfield kind of on a platoon basis. And by 1922, his last year in the league, you know, that was, that was it for Jack. Um, but you see his name start popping up again in the plane dealer a bit more in ni- 1924 when, um, Sandlot baseball, these amateur leagues were, very competitive and you know you've probably seen that famous picture of Brookside Park with you know supposedly a hundred thousand people just kind of chilling and watching this game uh, if you haven't google it very easy to find um, but nevertheless you know, this amateur baseball was a, a very big deal and uh, you know these these company teams wanted to field the best teams they could and Maybe think back to the Simpsons episode with the softball game and how Mr. Burns gets all the ringers. Um, you know, not, I guess in some sense, you know, Jack wasn't working for these companies. It was just baseball versus Mr. Burns having, you know, Ken Griffey or, or someone like that playing on the or working at the company. But um, so with Graney, in 1924, in the April 14th paper, it mentions that uh, the the Rosenblooms, who were a, uh, a very big amateur team in Cleveland, were hoping to count on uh, Jack for his participation on their team. Now, Jack had gotten into the automotive uh, business. He had uh, teamed up with a gentleman with the last name of Kane, and they had a, a garage, or they were selling cars out of off of Memphis Avenue, right where it hits 25th, and the address was uh, 3426 Memphis. And when I went to Google Maps, it just kind of has a weird image. I'm not sure what's there anymore, um, but very like like pixelated something or another. But the plane dealer mentioned that Jack left the Indians in 1922, going to Des Moines in the Western League as a player and manager. At the close of the season, he decided to give up the game and go into business, his car business. Last year, he played a few games with the Lorraine team and other semi-pro teams, but um, in Cleveland, he was a member of the Amateur Day at Dunfield, and he was in the outfield for an old-timers game, and he showed fans he hadn't slipped uh, much of a great deal. So, you know, Jack was still athletic, still relatively uh, young, I guess. And, uh, and as 1924 kind of goes along, 
you see Jack's name begin to appear, you know, pretty casually or pretty often in um, recaps of games. Now, I'm not going to go and, uh, you know, document every amateur game he was playing in, but he still, he was a baseball lifer. He loved baseball, wanted to keep playing it, and who could blame him? Everyone loves playing a game of baseball. Now, in the uh, August 17th, 1924, Plain Dealer mentions Jack was uh, teaming up with Patty Livingston, who was actually on that 1901 team of, of Cleveland for a, a hot second and ended up living to be 90-some years old. Patty lived, I think, out in Lakewood, maybe, somewhere out there. So, again, not uncommon to have former big league ball players playing on the team. And Jack even got into umpiring. And August 21st, there was a, a cool little caricature in the plane dealer and it said Jack Graney this former big leaguer is braving the pop bottle army and umpiring a game for some of the boys uh pop bottle army I think it wasn't uncommon to see uh, umpires being um run off the field with with projectiles and and things of that nature so Jack was again really still into baseball and even after that 1924 amateur uh, season. Jack, again, keeps up with baseball, plays amateur every now and then. Uh, In 1927, he actually served as a ref for a boxing match. And then in 1931, Jack got uh, into uh, managing, and during this, there was a a ballpark called the Schaff Road Ballpark, S-C-H-A-A-F. It said five miles from Public Square. I was trying to do the Google Maps, and um, if anyone has any idea where this park used to be I did some quick searches I tried using some old maps but I couldn't dig it up but they had lights and they would play night games so Jack had this team called the Grainy Nighthawks which I think is a fantastic name for a ball club and on July uh, 7 or July 17th uh, 1931 Jackie Mitchell the Chattanooga lookout the uh, famous female pitcher that struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig actually came to Cleveland and pitched against Jack's team. So, again, one of those uh, crossing paths and, and interesting aspects of Jack Graney's overall career. And before we get into his broadcasting, we're going to take a short break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. In 1932 is when Jack then gets behind the mic and the plane dealer on April 28th big headline, Grainy to be sportscaster. When the Cleveland Indians face the Chicago White Sox at League Park this afternoon at 3, you'll hear Billy Evans, Indians general manager, introducing through WKH Jack Grainy, former Indian left fielder who will make his debut as a baseball announcer. Uh, M.A. Howlett, WKH manager, announced yesterday that the current series was to afford Grainy his opportunity to do play-by-play accounts over the ether. George Sutherland will assist him. Graney certainly should know his baseball. He came to Cleveland way back in 1910 and for years was the idol of the left field bleacherites. Being a member of the Cleveland club when it captured the World Series in 1920, 
It is understood that overtures were again made to secure Tom Manning, but an NBC contract, which binds him for a year, prevents him from broadcasting on WHK. Now, in 1934, uh, there was a little bit of a different account, I guess, or more of a detailed account of of when Jack uh, became a broadcaster, and it said... uh, in 1932, Greeny, with scant notice, was called upon to broadcast games played by the tribe. The St. Louis Browns were in town, and uh, M.A. Howlett, the manager, said, Think you can handle it? And Greeny responded, I-, I think so. I know the plays, but I don't know how my voice will come across over the mic. Go ahead, said Howlett. And Greeny started cold. I didn't even know how a mic or how a mic faced, he said yesterday. The newspaper men were listening, and I would have jumped out of the press box if I could. I was that scared. Then the game began, and I felt like I was back on the field and began to live the game. The fright passed, and I was enjoying it all. So, again, uh, was Jack, uh, you know, it's interesting to wonder how Jack got into that position. Was it just kind of a guy that loved baseball still around Cleveland? And they said, hey, why not give Jack a shot? And, uh, you know, obviously he mentions he was nervous, and for something that was in its infancy of, you know, radio broadcasting baseball uh, consistently, um, you know, it was all kind of, let's figure it out and and go along as we can. Cleveland's other paper, the Cleveland Press, uh, recapped his his debut in in 32. It says, Jack Graney scores as announcer, shows promise of developing into a sports, or star sportscaster on first WHK broadcast from League Park. Jack Graney started out at League Park yesterday afternoon, not as a ball chaser in left field, but as a sports announcer in the press box. As a baseball broadcaster, Graney is one of the most promising rookies that ever bombarded a microphone. He faced the mic cold in his first trip to the air, having been notified less than 24 hours before the job was his. But to Graney, the situation wasn't any tougher than the many he saw while with the Indians. And with the former Cleveland ball player handling the mic for WHK, local fans can look forward to clear radio accounts of home battles. Graney left no doubt that he knows the game, that he is always on top of the play, and that his voice is suitable for broadcasting. His sharp, clean handling of the play-by-play accounts was a relief from local baseball broadcasts of the past, which was ragged in many spots. As a beginner, Graney shows more promise than Tom Manning did when he started out uh, to broadcast baseball. He has a number of rough spots to smooth out, but there is no doubt that he has the ability to become the best and most popular baseball announcer in the country. And I think that goes to show you a what a um, you know quick learner Jack was. I mean, again, I think anyone that makes it to a, a major league has a, a tenacity or an ability to work hard and, and, and succeed. And also just the the love Cleveland had for Graney. You know, he wasn't. Um, like a, a, a Jim Tomey level Hall of Fame player, but he was a player that worked hard and endeared himself to uh, Cleveland fans. So, you know, the papers, I think, recognized both of those aspects to, to Jack. And you know, from there, it was kind of off and running. And throughout that 32 season, the news kind of made it around the country, even to uh, his home uh, country of Canada. The Windsor Star on May 2nd said, Baseball fans who tune in on American League ball games broadcast from Cleveland over radio station WKH will be listening to the announcing of Glad Greeny, a former St. Thomas boy. Greeny at one time was a star outfielder for Cleveland. And Greeny, too, in the, the Pittsburgh press, it mentioned uh, you know his ability to kind of poke a little fun at himself and realize that he was, frankly, learning on the job. 
And paper said, Jack Graney, Cleveland's new baseball announcer, isn't waiting to be panned by radio writers. Jack called a play wrong in his debut and promptly announced, one air for Graney. That fellow will make good. And even as the season, uh, baseball season ended, there were still notices of Graney in the paper doing radio work. So clearly he had a drive and an interest in doing radio work. Um, October 28th in the Plain Dealer mentioned that Jack would handle hockey broadcasts. Then on June 21st, a little bit later, 1933, he interviewed Jesse Owens. Uh, June 23rd, 1933, he interviewed Connie Mack. So again, a, uh, a lot of, of multi or different directions and just not necessarily broadcasting baseball, but doing things that you know, more modern broadcasters do. Um, so really setting the stage that, yes, he was a former ball player, but he's very capable of, of doing uh, broadcasting, whether it's hockey or interviews. And, uh, you know, I think that's one aspect that kind of gets overshadowed. You know, you just think maybe he went and just did broadcast and that was it. And uh, I guess at a critical juncture, too, very uh, young in, in Jack's broadcasting career, he was in a, a rather severe car accident in July of 1933. The Plain Dealer mentioned that Jack Graney, former Major League Baseball player and Vincent H. Percy, public hall organist, rep- reported recovering last night at St. Luke Hospital from injuries received when the automobile they were riding stuck a telegraph, struck a telegraph pole in front of uh, 14328 Superior Road, Cleveland Heights. Graney suffered a possible skull fracture, a broken nose, and multiple contusions. He is a sports announcer for WKH and lives at 331 Bonniewood Drive. Um, so very uh, open to where these people live. Old newspapers back then were a bit more <laughs> descriptive. But nevertheless, um, and Graney mentioned this later on when he was retiring, was that he would have a, a pitcher of water with him Maybe bring it to the broadcast booth, so to speak, when he, we did games because he had you know, some issues with his face after this accident because he had, uh, you know, had to have these uh, corrective surgeries, I believe, and he couldn't moisten his lips. So, uh, you know, again, his career could have easily been over after this accident, but sure enough, he was able to overcome that and, and continue on. In October of 1933, Graney has his own sports radio show, I guess, like you think of now. It mentions that Jack Graney, the former Cleveland Indian left fielder and sportscaster who was injured in an auto accident some time ago, is getting back on WHK in sports flashes starting today. He will be heard at 6.30 p.m. and 11.15 p.m. Graney is going to cover his own sports news, uh, contracting prominent sports heads about town for his broadcasting materials. So again... Talking sports, uh, even in the off season, and as you saw earlier, speaking with Jesse Owens and, and Connie Mack, I mean, he was um, getting fantastic interviews, and I, I really wish you know these would be archived or saved somewhere, but they probably weren't. So, you know, what's been lost to history, it kind of hurts to think about. And in the off season too, again, Jack's covering additional sports. He does a, a basketball game in 1933 in December of uh, an amateur team and then actually does some some boxing too that was in february of 1934 um the sixth annual golden gloves boxing tournament from public hall and also you start seeing um 
the, the development of, of the importance of broadcasting. And you see that in, in March 15th paper of the Plain Dealer 34, it mentioned that they're completing a new deal baseball announcing setup at League Park. It's a new booth capable of housing four directly online with home plate and directly back and above the press box. Jack Graney will be chief announcer, of course, when the games start April 17th. And, you know, as uh, the buildup of the season starts, Jack's uh, doing more broadcasts on WHK. Um, and the newspapers, again, Jack is is doing opening day and, you know, be ready for that. And then uh, even in, in August of, of 34, it mentions this, uh, uh, again, what Jack was doing. And it, it says, WHK dialers will hear the voices of Walter Johnson, Cleveland Indians manager and Glenn Myatt, Scrappy Indians backstop from Lakeside Hospital this afternoon at two. Jack Graney, WHK sportscaster, will interview uh, the two. Graney will be stationed at WHK. It will be a two-way conversation stunt. Both rooms are equipped with telephones, so the broadcast stunt should work successfully. So again, he's doing interviews with with players on the mend in the hospital and uh, very... um, I don't know if it's cutting edge at the time. I'm not a, necessarily a, a radio historian, but uh, a unique way of, of getting the stories out and, and finding ways to keep fans engaged. And it begins to be noticed that, hey, having you know a former player do broadcasting has a lot of benefits. Uh, September 30th, 1934, Plain Dealer said... Graney's actual playing experience in big league competition and his wide acquaintances are among the players in the American League afford him a fine background for his announcing duties. So very, very similar to, you know, today if you're listening to to, um, Rick Manning talk about his playing days, you know, there's that certain added aspect of being a former player that you you don't get uh, unless you're on the field. And that was seen in 1934. And then in 1935, for Graney, again, it wasn't common to be sent on the road. Actually, very few and far between. But he was able to get uh, a chance to go to St. Louis to broadcast the game if the weather would cooperate. And that was uh, thanks to S. Ohio for uh, sending him out there at Sportsman Park to do the Indians and St. Louis Browns game. And next is one of my favorite aspects of Jack Graney is his ability to recreate baseball games. And you say, recreate, you know, he's sitting at the ballpark doing a broadcast. And obviously he's in St. Louis for an opener. Well, that wasn't common to be on the road for games. And fans, you know, these games weren't on TV. So people were baseball crazy. How can we get these games to them? And in 1935, it mentioned that Indians to put out-of-town games on air. WHK yesterday announced completed arrangements with Alva Bradley, president of the Cleveland Baseball Club, for the club to sponsor the complete play-by-play broadcast of Cleveland out-of-town games. WHK will broadcast all games from the various parks which permit Western Union ticket service. Through Western Union, the play-by-play reports will come directly to WHK Studios. Jack Graney will then recreate the game, which will be less than one half minute behind the actual game. This, together with WHK's current baseball schedule, will give fans here the most complete baseball picture ever attempted by a Cleveland station. Uh, so again, just uh, imagine, I mean, with COVID, obviously our broadcasters weren't traveling, and you know, I think they mentioned several times on here just how difficult it was to call a game watching a TV from the, the 
ballpark. I can't imagine getting Western Union telegrams, you know, and how you're going to figure that out. And again, as Jack went on, he, he kept getting praise. The, actually, that next week it said, Jack Graney is an improved sportscaster this season. His descriptions of League Park baseball over WHK have been receiving much favorable comment. Especially noteworthy, according to fans, is his tendency to be on top of the action. And in 1935, uh, there, there becomes one of the bigger, more notable issues during Jack Graney's broadcasting career. The June 18th paper mentioned that, as predicted here, the All-Star Game in Cleveland July 8th will find Jack Graney at a CBS mic and Tom Manning broadcasting for NBC. Um, then the July 4th, 1935 paper said, WHK Jack Graney is ruled out as CBS All-Star Game announcer by Judge Landis. Reason? He once played ball with the Indians. Ruling also hits Graney as a potential hope for the CBS as a World Series broadcaster next fall, a department in which the network was notoriously weak last fall. And this really bothered fans, you know. I mean, A, it's an all-star game. It's uh, There's just that worry that Landis, I guess, thought Graney couldn't be impartial. And again, the paper said, silly ruling. One incident of the All-Star Game left an unpleasant taste with thousands of radio listeners. It was the order of Commissioner Landis which forbade Jack Graney to give the play-by-play details of the game. This because Graney himself was a former Major League star and, as such, was not permitted to pursue the calling to which he turned after leaving the Diamond. To us, this prohibition, as applied to Graney uh, or any other former Major Leaguer, was sheer nonsense. Cannot, it could serve no useful purpose, whatever, while it disappointed thousands who were unable to see the word picture of the big event as only a former star of the diamond could draw it. For a good many years, through orders and regulations which seemed to be but remotely related, at best, to the duties of the commissioner's office, Landis has created the impression in the minds of many followers of baseball that he is frequently more concerned with maintaining the dignity of his position than with the duties of Major League Baseball had in mind for him when they named him commissioner. So again, very harsh words from the Cleveland Papers. In September of 1935, the paper ran a story. It said, Landis relents. Judge Landis gives WHK Jack Graney his blessing, okaying him for World Series broadcast this fall. So Cleveland may have both Graney and Tom Manning on the series firing line. That will probably call for a popularity poll after the series is over. So it eventually worked out uh, that Jack was able to get on the broadcast and, again, becoming, I believe, the first former player to be a World Series broadcaster. And as the years go on, here in 1936, for example, um, you get the sense that Jack is, is more comfortable and he's really developing what it is to be a modern broadcaster. And you find these little snippets that detail that. And, for example, on May 20th, it mentioned Graney is at League Park far ahead of broadcast time. We visit both Yankees and Indians dugouts to chat with Joe McCarthy, Steve O'Neill, Lou Gehrig, Lefty Gomez, Monty Pearson, Hal Trotsky, and others. Graney gleans many colorful broadcast bits from these visits. At game time, we're high in the stands. Graney broadcasts with pencil post poised in one hand, a cigarette in the other. He wears glasses. He uses a conversational tone. In front of him is a chart of the Yankee club in fielding position. There's surprisingly little, surprisingly little fuss about it. Both Graney and Gibbons work easily. Two seats away from them, you never know they were broadcasting. 
So again, very, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell a difference between what Jack was doing in 1936 to what, you know, Rosie or Hammy is doing in 2022. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, goes to show just how, um, how Jack adapted to the role and his ability to become a, a great broadcaster. And Jack's uh, away game broadcast then start becoming more of a, a spectacle. In 1938, the paper mentioned Jack Graney and Pinky Hunter, uh, baseball broadcasters, shown yesterday broadcasting a play-by-play recreation of the Indians' White Sox game from a glass studio on the public square level of the terminal building while hundreds of fans look on. And you start seeing seeing that a lot more as you take these shows on the road. And uh, actually, another uh, fun tidbit, a month later, it mentions, careful, Graney, when the Cleveland Indians are on the road, it is customary procedure for sportscaster Jack Graney to recreate their games from wire reports received in WHK, WCLE studios. In fact, you can hear the telegraph operator's instrument in the broadcast background. Graney enjoys building up the game in order to make it appear alive to his dialers. And therein is a yarn. It seems one of his dialers, an elderly man, is a retired telegraph operator. His ear catches the code in the background. Be careful, Jack. Do not make some of those line drives look so uh, look too good. And you hear that um, more and more of Graney's recreations of these road games is oftentimes he would say so-and-so is warming up in the Yankees bullpen when in fact he had no idea so he was you know having a little fun with it and kind of one of those don't look at the man behind the curtain but also everyone still was aware of what was going on and what Jack was doing and Jack also had again pointing out the the connection between past and present um, you know July 26 1938 First in a series of new dugout interviews from League Park, a half hour before each home bill is offered by Jack Grady and Peaky Hunter. So again, doing these broadcast interviews before games, much like Rosie and Hammy doing interviews with Tito in the dugout or, or something of that nature. So um, just really neat connecting that past and present. And again, we're going to take another short break. And we're back. And again, through 1938 uh, into 39, you go through these mentions of various sports Jacks, or various people Jacks interviewing. Um, You know, one of them in August 10th mentions, uh, Jack's a game guy. They've got the dauntless Mr. Jack Graney shilling for ladies' hosiery on his baseball broadcast now. He's not to reason why, but to do or die. So doing broadcast commercials and, uh, and much like today. Um, another mentioned uh, a, a specially constructed radio booth in the Southern Tavern restaurant where Jack Graney and Pinky Hunter recreate out-of-town games. Um, so again, on the road, but not, you know, on the road <laughs> doing various uh, broadcasts. In 1939, Jack and Pinky go down to spring training. So again, going out there to uh, uh, get some baseball content for fans even back in the 30s doing his dugout shows and then um later on you see that you know jack still first and foremost is a a ball player and there's just certain things you know you can take the the player off the field or whatever you can't take the ball player out of the guy or however that saying goes and uh, the april 17th 1940 plane dealer mentions that 
Perhaps Jack Graney was afraid he'd jinx Bob Feller's no-hit hurling in Chicago yesterday. As a casual dialer, I tuned into the game at the end of the sixth and listened to, through the last out of the ninth, cutting off abruptly to catch a news report. All that time, I wasn't aware the Sox hadn't got a hit. What a dramatic buildup could have been given those last three Sox batters in the final half of the ninth. So again, Jack didn't want to have anything to do with a, uh, a no-hitter because afraid he was going to jinx it. And uh, another, uh, again, story mentions that Jack Graney at the WCLE Mike was a former Indian outfielder. Having been a big leaguer, baseball's tradition cried out loud that there be no jinxing, jinxing of Rapid Roberts' supreme effort. Graney bowed to tradition, put aside the opportunity offered. His description ran along with no hint to the casual dialer who had dialed in late that baseball history was being made in Chicago ballpark. So I said to Jack yesterday, suppose WHK and WCLE program director had suddenly become aware of a chance for the drama in that ninth and had come rushing into the studio in order to build up of the no-hit angle and a forceful word picture of those last three Chicago outs. What would have happened? True to his baseball heritage came Graney's reply. Bob, I just wouldn't have heard him, that's all. And so Mr. Graney steadfastly staved off the feller jinx and perhaps sent a president for baseball announcers in the future. The incident from this angle is poetic, natural, equal to the terrifying climax. Um, so again, it's kind of funny to, uh, to see that you know, he couldn't, uh, couldn't continue on with the broadcast just because uh, of all that. And that story went on to say, some will argue that Graney is now a reporter and that his audience should have come first. But where would have been the romance if Jack had really jinxed Feller's no-hitter? Do you really think it could have been uh, done anyway if you yourself had been in Graney's spot? What would you have done? And in May of that year, Graney actually broadcast a game at Cedar Point. So again, just these different odds and ends. Uh, at a Clifton Post American Legion Hall, he did a broadcasting game and he went down to New Philadelphia for a special recreation broadcast. I think that was the, the furthest one they had gone to. So again, getting out and about doing broadcast and he became a, an attraction for Cleveland fans. With Cleveland in a pennant chase, too, in 1940, there was some worry that if Cleveland had made the World Series that Jack would not be allowed to be the broadcaster for the club, but uh, the papers went ahead and said, no, that's not necessarily the case. Jack, if Cleveland makes it, may be a broadcaster for it. There was no uh, conflict that would prohibit him from doing that. And the next year, 1940, becomes, uh, you know, I don't know what you'd call it. It has to be a highlight of Jack's career. Is he actually did a, a broadcast in Cuba. Uh, it was uh, March 5th, 1941. The Cleveland Indians-Brooklyn Dodgers baseball game, which Jack Graney and Pinky Hunter will do from Havana on Saturday over the mutual chain, has now been switched to WHK as the outlet in this section starting at 2.45 p.m. The contest will also be heard in Canada and throughout the world for it will be carried by a powerful shortwave stations. So, again, you think about that. You have a Canadian uh, broadcaster, former player in Cuba, um, broadcasting the you know, American baseball game. It's just, I mean, never been done. And uh, there you have Jack uh, in the center of it all. So pretty, pretty wild and a feather in his cap. There are so many different 
anecdotes and stories that come up, and it's hard not to, to read them all. So you know, I'm going to get to some more of those. So feel free to hit the uh, fast-forward button if you uh, don't want to hear some of these. But uh, again, the descriptions of just how people reacted to Graney and how he was endearing himself into the hearts of Clevelanders and really cementing his spot in, in Cleveland history. Um, as mentioned, the broadcasters have their critics. What sports announcer doesn't? But for day-in-day-out and day out job of baseball broadcasting, I feel this team has developed into one of the top-flight baseball announcing teams in the country. I've had a number of queries asking how Hunter can tell Jack who the hurler is warming up in the bullpen when Graney is broadcasting an out-of-town game. The student, of course, is in on a spirit of fun. The name of the relief pitcher has been flashed by wire. Jack and Pinky stage a little play-by-play because they know some of their fans will surely ask how Pinky can tell who the hurler is so many miles away. When Graney, doing these out-of-town games, remarks that the hurler has picked up the resin bag, pulled his cap down more firmly over his forehead, or when he describes a hitter's stance at the plate, he's merely putting color into his description to make the game seem more alive. Graney has followed the players so long he has memorized various motions they usually go through when they're playing, so he makes good use of the knowledge when the games are played out of town. For baseball fans who follow the radio descriptions and who have never met Jack Graney and Pinky Hunter, let me assure you that personally you would find them as natural and likable as they appear before the mic. So again, high praise uh, from a writer in The Plain Dealer. Even during World War II, Graney was still uh, broadcasting and it mentions too a story about our soldiers in Australia apparently haven't forgotten Jack Graney who for years has been broadcasting the play-by-play accounts of the Cleveland Indians baseball games. It seems that a dispute came up over a play. One of the players we called Graney, uh, so uh, the Cleveland broadcaster received a V-mail letter recently requesting he straighten out the argument. The boys had no baseball rulebook available. Graney has written to the soldiers and has invited them to send other sports problems to him for solution. Um, so again, thus the world uh, distance has grown smaller in 1943, which, you know, the world seems to be increasingly smaller in terms of being connected. Um, however, Jack also was unfortunately on the air during probably one of the greatest tragedies of his life. In the May 13, 1943 paper mentions that listeners to the WHK broadcast of the Cleveland-Washington baseball game last night were, were the unwitting participants in a behind-the-scenes tragedy affecting Jack Graney, radio sports announcer. At the close of the third inning, Graney received word that his only son, uh, First Lieutenant John G. Graney Jr., had been seriously injured in a plane crash at Fort, Fort Bragg. Uh, Pinky Hunter took over the broadcast while Graney and his wife hurried to the WHK studios to arrange for a plane to take them to the bedside of their son. While, they are, while there, they received word from an army authorities that their son had died at the Fort Bragg Hospital. He suffered a skull fracture and internal injuries. And one of the aspects or one of the avenues of, I think, proving how much Jack deserved the uh, Fort Frick Award was just the reaction from, from fans and, and other broadcasters alike. And you, you see those in The Plain Dealer in, in various capacities. Um, there was a writer from Hudson that said, You are mistaken as to the effect of Mr. Graney's broadcasting. I am a mother of six boys who were radio fans since they were small. Their interest in the Cleveland Indians has been enhanced by the broadcast of the Indians games. The youngest is now 16, and every one of them has, as opportunity presents, been paying a 
been a paying fan for the ball games. Now that traveling restrictions are lifted, you should take a poll of delegations from Ohio towns who visit games. I will bet you will find those far-flung fans who have been nurtured by Jack Graney and Pinky Hunter. Another one uh, out of Avon Lake mentioned um, that um, Jack Graney, as he is, our whole immediate neighborhood is a very baseball conscious, and since we can't attend every game, Jack Graney's announcing is the next best thing to being there. As one neighbor said, Jack Graney makes you wish you were there. His phraseology and animation all make for good baseball listening. And those whose voice or and whose voice doesn't get higher pitched when he's sincerely excited about something, we want Jack Greeny. His voice, his phrases, and his accurate, vivid descriptions as they are. Then another uh, letter to the editor said, plug for Greeny. Sir, as a former semi-pro baseball player and always an ardent baseball fan, I feel that Jack Greeny is one of the best baseball announcers in the country. He has lived and played baseball all his life and is familiar with baseball vernacular. That's my reaction to his ability. The phrase, here's the pitch, attracts one's attention and is very important as far as baseball is concerned. It's a jewel. Players, batters, spectators, all keyed up to the pitch. It can mean a home run, double, single, strike, ball, out, etc. Jack Greeny's description and analysis of the ball game is excellent. I get as much kick out of listening to him as I do watching the game. His accurate account of the games places one closer to the movement of the players and holds the listener's interest throughout. So again, high praise from the most important people, the fan, and they love Jack. Another quick fun anecdote too, or a story of, again, Jack was a baseball player first and uh, mentioned on July 4th, 1948, that Greeny passed up his turn at Mike. If you were listening to the radio description of Bob Feller's no-hit victory over Detroit last Wednesday night, you might have noticed that Jimmy Dudley handled the broadcast alone from the fourth inning on, and you might have wondered what had become of Jack Greeny. Don't. Greeny was a ball player. Dudley was doing the talking from the first faint odor of a no-hitter in the making wafted to the radio booth. So again, pretty much, Jack wasn't going to touch that. Very, uh, I guess, superstitious when it came to no-hitters. Jack, actually, and Jimmy Dudley, too, who also is a Ford Frick winner, were doing their part their civic duty. And here in 1949, it mentioned that chalk this up to the credit of Jack Graney and Jimmy Dudley, WJW's baseball broadcasters. While they are broadcasting the Indians games, police complaints drop to a minimum. Lieutenant William Morlovitz of the police radio department admitted last night that he had, no- had noted such a decrease. The people who'd normally be making complaints and getting into mischief are listening to the game like all the rest of us. Jack and Jimmy suddenly find themselves not only the most popular men in town, but a force for good. It's true, all right, said Moralovitz. As soon as the radio broadcast of the game begins, police radio calls slack off. Another observer at the Central Police Station said he had noted time and again that as soon as the game was over, police calls began to pick up almost immediately. So maybe an honorary... Uh, uh, a deputy or something of that nature but people love baseball and wanted to hear Jack and Jimmy and we'll take another short break and we're back and again another fascinating then and now aspect of Jack is in 1952 uh, Jack was doing a 10th inning show which will begin uh, with the start of the baseball season Jack Graney will be heard on the 10th inning following each of the Cleveland Indians games. He will present a roundup of the day's baseball scores and highlights. So again, not much different from what you would hear now in a post-game wrap-up. 
and with everything in life, all good things have to come to an end. And you know, Jack retired from baseball once. Uh, it was you know, only a matter of time before his broadcasting career would come to an end, and that was in 1953. And here we kind of have a long uh, little article from Gordon Cobbledeg, so I'm going to kind of go through that real quick. Um, it said, Baseball won't be the same without Greeny. Jack took over the mic in 1932. I note with more regret than I have the words to convey that old John Gladstone Greeny is about to retire as radio reporter of baseball games in Cleveland, or in which the Cleveland Indians engage. A first-rate guy, and for my meager dough, a first-rate announcer. He has found the appeal of the old rocking chair too compelling to be longer resisted. Jack Greeny, and particularly the contour of his bowed legs as viewed from the rear, is part of part and parcel of my earliest recollections of baseball. When a bleacher seat at Old League Park could be bought for 25 cents, and a kid could earn that princely sum by mowing lawns and shoveling snow and peddling papers and one thing and another, I spent many a summer afternoon in a plank pew just east of Jack's station in left field. He was a favorite with the bleacher kids because he had tricks of fumbling a ball in pregame practice in such a way that it bounced over the low screen and in among the young patrons. I never got one of them, but I still carry some scars on my knees from trying. Jack was one of the league's better outfielders, although he was not, as he himself would say, a big fellow. Neither was he a hefty hitter but he was a leadoff man of rare attainments. His reputation as an eagle eye who wouldn't offer at a pitch a quarter of an inch wide of the plate became so widespread that umpires were inclined to take the position. Well, I ought have sworn that was a strike, but Graney took it, so it must have been a ball. This was a source of annoyance to opposing pitchers and of profit to the Naps and Indians. Had a 298 average for the Indians in 1920. As old ball players. Well, he has now talked himself up to a lifetime batting average of 387, but the record books show that he never had a 300 season, though. He came close in the pennant winning year of 1920 when he hit 299 in 68 games. I drove past League Park the other day, he told me recently, and I noticed that the right field wall is down. I must have weakened it more than I thought with those line drives of mine. It goes to show what a fellow's imagination can do. Jack came to Cleveland as a left-handed pitcher in 1908. In batting practice one day, he called Nap Lajaway, the manager, who, with one of his best Sunday fastballs. A half hour later, he was summoned to the clubhouse, where Lajaway lay on the rubbing table with an ice bag to his aching head. Young man, said the Frenchman, handling the quaking Greenian envelope, they tell me the place for wild men is out west. I told the secretary to buy you a railroad ticket from the furthest point, West Point in the United States. He will report to Portland, Portland as quickly as possible. That's in Oregon, and if you want to go still further west, it'll be all right with me. It was as an outfielder that Jack came back in 1910 to stay until 1922. The partnership of baseball and radio was pretty young when Grady took over the mic in 1932. His appointment came after a telephone conversation with the late Sam Otis, the sports editor of The Plain Dealer. Otis was impressed by the clear, if not melodious, quality of Graney's voice as it came over the wire. Knowing Alva Bradley, the Indians president was shopping for an announcer. He got on the phone to Bradley's office and nominated the left fielder. An audition followed, and he's been on the job ever since. Some carping critics who have found fault with Jack's tendency to shout his message in tense situations on the ball field. I don't follow them. The old boy makes baseball exciting, which is more than the Indians can do with any consistency. Ouch. 
Uh, but that was, uh, I think, uh, worth the read uh, and high praise from, from Gordon. And then once news got out that Greeny was retiring, uh, quickly it became the idea to have a Jack Greeny night at the ballpark and they raised money. It mentioned that Tris Speaker was going to handle uh, a lot of the details for the festivities at Municipal Stadium. In the sporting news, it mentioned that fans took the news of Greeny's retirement as a personal thing, Jack being one of the most popular sports personalities in Cleveland's history. There was an immediate move by the fans for a Jack Greeny night, and the Indians officials are planning to accede to popular demand. And as time got closer to the day of the event, the money kept pouring in uh, a few thousand dollars, and you see these tributes to Jack, and Frank Gibbons in the Cleveland Press mentioned that the word idol is used very carelessly in sports, but this time it fits. Greeny has been a baseball idol here, and all over the state through 43 years on our baseball scene. And uh, in The Plain Dealer, too, it mentions that Graney, not very big, but makes a big hit. Um, as John Gladstone Graney might say, he isn't a large fellow, but he certainly made a big hit with the fans last night. The man behind Cleveland Indians' microphone for more than two decades was visibly touched by the night in his honor at the stadium, as were his wife, Pauline, and daughter, Margot. Uh, seated in the press box near the tribe dugout. After a rousing ovation from the crowd of 19,619, that familiar piercing voice, unmistakable to baseball fans throughout the area, came through the field microphone. This is the toughest job I've ever tried, and I've dreaded the day when it would be time to retire. You people have softened it for me. After 13 years with the Indians, my legs gave out and I hung up my spikes. Now, after 21 years of broadcasting, I'm hanging up my voice. Thank you again. God bless you all, and goodbye. A few moments before, Tris Speaker, the manager and teammate of Greeny from the 1920 World Champions, had announced that $10,000 was being presented to the ex-left fielder and veteran Mike Mann. Mayor Thomas Burke uh, was at the game, officially designated the day as Jack Greeny Day, and said that baseball in the city will not be the same. He had a quote that said, Jack Greeny has meant as much to baseball here as any man in the history of Cleveland. Bob Feller, who represented the Cleveland players and presented a wristwatch, remarked, Often when we weren't doing too well, Jack made it sound good. After his broadcasting career was over, Jack eventually moved to Bowling Green, Missouri. His obituary in the New York Times, uh, April 21st, 1978, rang, Jack Greeny, a longtime player and announcer for the Cleveland Indians until his retirement in 1954, died yesterday. He was 91 years old. Mr. Greeny played left field for the Indians from 1908 through 1921. He became a pioneer in the movement from the playing field to broadcasting when he had worked as the team's play-by-play announcer from 1933 through 1954. Mr. Greeny, the leadoff hitter with the Indians, was the first batter to face Babe Ruth when Ruth entered the major leagues as a pitcher with the Boston Red Sox in 1914. And again, going through um, you know, later on, comments from, from sports writers and broadcasters that really hammered home the points of just how important Jack Graney was to their careers and their developments, um, you know, again, solidified it's hopefully in everyone's mind that this award is, is well-deserved. Jimmy Dudley in 1964 mentioned that it was the break of my life and so was the opportunity to work with Jack Greeny. Our association was perfect and he taught me so much, especially about broadcasting from a player's point of view. One thing he always said that I'll never forget was this. 
Just remember that 85% of the listeners know more about baseball, or think they do, than you. Don't spoil it for them. Uh, Hal Leibowitz said in 1965, Who can forget the metallic voice of Jack Rainey? It's a hot shot down the third baseline. Ken Keltner comes up with it, and he's out. Jack had a limited vocabulary, but he used it perfectly to stay on top of every play. His description was so clear and crisp, he made you visualize the action. And he provided just the proper amount of suspense, even when he recreated games while sitting in a studio 400 miles away and using a Western Union play-by-play. Jack managed to put you in the driver's seat. Grady magnetically drew me to League Park and to the stadium. He seemed to enjoy every game. He made it sound as though he'd rather be there watching the Indians than be anywhere else in the world. And this feeling was infectious. Jack also received high praise from uh, former Clevelander Jack Buck. He said, quote, Graney made me know I wanted to announce. I usually like keeping these podcasts a little over a half hour just because, you know, everyone's got limited bandwidth and only so much time in a day. So hopefully you're able to make it through all of this and, again, really appreciate, you know, Jack Graney because, you know, a lot of those older guys, I mean, as years go by, there's fewer and fewer people around that were able to listen to them and enjoy them and uh, really realize what these guys put into their craft. And I think, um, you know, Graney kind of has slipped through the cracks a little bit for non-Cleveland baseball history fans. So with this recognition, um, hopefully there's some renewed attention towards the life and time of Jack Graney and just really exciting to get that news and know that he's finally being recognized with uh, this tremendous award and with that thanks everyone for listening and uh, feel free to tweet at me or have questions comments Uh, we have that saber meeting coming up if you're interested in stopping by and checking that out Uh, it's gonna be a great time but until then uh, stay warm out there i think it's like nine degrees out here or something of that nature You've been listening to Cleveland's Team, a baseball history podcast with Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor.